Piper Electric has been serving the Denver metro area since before I was born. Seriously, 1983. Through a commitment to customer service and team performance, Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they will give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or small for Piper Electric. They work with the top professionalism and integrity in the business, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, you have to call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I am your host, Adam Mattis from DNVR, where you can subscribe for $5, get access to everything that I'm doing covering the Denver Nuggets, as well as the entire staff over at DNVR, Broncos Abs, Rockies Nuggets. I got to say, there's some really cool stuff going on with DNVR right now behind the scenes. Very cool. We're four months, less than four months into DNVR's existence. Can you believe that? Only three and a half months. It feels like so much stuff has happened already in this first quarter, basically. But some even cooler stuff down the pipeline that I can't wait to share with you. And I don't think it'll take too long. I think it's coming up in like a couple months. You're going to start seeing the seeds of DNVR starting to sprout new fruit. Today's episode of the show presented by Illegal Pete's, the best fast casual place in all of Denver, the most Denver fast casual restaurant in all of all of Colorado, maybe in the entire world. You got delicious Mexican food, burritos, you get some green chili, you get queso, guacamole, a bar, all kinds of good stuff. And then of course, DNVR listeners, they hooked you up. If you show, if you go to the Nuggets game or as game, you show them your ticket stub and you order a meal, you will get a free margarita or beer with your with your meal. It's walkable distance to Pepsi Center. So if you're here, go buy there first for dinner, then head over to Pepsi Center. Great, great deal. Let them know DNVR sent you. Great partner of ours. Today's episode of the show is going to be on 10 things, 10 questions. We're almost at the halfway point of the season. With the Denver Nuggets now, it's kind of hard to believe because it really flies by. You miss the season so much in the offseason, and then when it gets here, it's like a blink, and, and you're already halfway through. Well, that's where we're at, and I feel like Denver has some interesting questions to be determined. The, the season has gotten progressively more interesting as it's gone on. It hasn't been, I don't think, the most interesting season you know that I've ever watched of the Nuggets. There's a lot going on, and I think it, it, the playoffs will be very interesting. It's funny was at practice today, and Will Barton spoke, and he said, look, nobody cares what we do in the regular season right now. That's just the truth. The only thing people care about is what we do in the playoffs. And there is some – I think there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of fans that I think had that adrenaline adrenaline rush of, will they make the playoffs? What seed will they get? You know, last year you're on edge for everything. This year, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. They're like 12 games up of the eight seed. They're, they're virtually a lock to make the playoffs. Um Maybe it's a little bit boring, that slog of, of December, January, February, whatever. But I think that the season has gotten more progressively more uh, interesting. And I actually think looking at it through the lens of the 10 questions I have tonight um, will <laughs> we'll really frame it in a way that I think you'll see just how interesting things are about to get for this Denver Nuggets roster. But before we do, some news coming down. Um, Mark Stein is reporting that Michael Malone will be an advisor or serving in an advisory role, role for the Serbian national team this summer as they look to qualify and then compete in the Olympics for uh, on the basketball side. I think this is really this is really interesting. I didn't see this coming to be honest with you. Um, Malone acting as an advisor. It sounds like the details that have come out that Malone will be. 
um, with the team primarily in that qualifying phase and I guess what you would consider camp, which, by the way, begins, I think, on the 23rd of June, almost immediately after the, after the NBA Finals. So should the Denver Nuggets go deep into the playoffs or, who knows, all the way to the Finals, they would wrap up and immediately go into the Serbian national team um, for a qualifying tournament just to make it into the Olympics. So a potentially extremely busy summer for Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic, but it is interesting that the Serbian national team reached out to him. A couple things to note here. We have suspected and, and you know, both people, you know, Mike Malone obviously loves Nikola Jokic, nothing but great things to say about him. And Jokic has always been positive when talking about Malone. You know, no, I don't think anybody's ever asked him, like, do you like Malone? No, no player would ever answer that question. I mean, it would be like kind of a ridiculous thing to say. If they did not, they would never tell you. And if they do, they would feel weird even saying that. But, you know, the sense I get is that Jokic does like Mike Malone. I don't know that he thinks he's perfect, but I think he likes him and is glad that he is his coach. So um, it's neat, and I think it reinforces the bond that they have that this happened. I don't think the Serbian national team would bring in a coach that Jokic was like, man, I don't know if I, I don't really care for this guy or whatever. Um, so I think it's it's really, really neat. It's also an opportunity to talk with some of the players you know, around the league that I find to be very, very good players. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic, the top of the list. list. Nemanja Bialica, another guy I really like his game. So you know, it's just a chance to be around those guys, maybe learn a little bit more about Serbian culture. I've said this. I think understanding Serbian culture really helps you understand Nikola Jokic. I think that... He has a lot of pride in his country, clearly has a lot of pride in his country and his hometown of Somobor. I think that um, an opportunity to sort of learn maybe a little bit more about your cornerstone player and really the player that is most important to you, to Michael Malone's career, I think it can only be a positive thing. And the lessons Malone will take away from from that interaction, I think, will be will really, really help um, those two to figure each other out. So I think it's really neat. I do wonder, you know, Malone is Jokic's guy. And I think everybody likes Jokic. I don't think there's a lot of animosity in the national team or this or that. But it is always weird when an advisor or a coach comes in who has a player. Do other players feel a bit alienated or whatever? That's maybe the one, not negative, but one sort of question I have with it. But in on the whole, I think this is a really, really cool move. Um, and, and I think it can only be a great thing both for the Serbian national team and for the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, anybody that watches international competition... You know, Serbia uses Jokic differently than Denver does. And I think a lot of that has to do their um they're weary of Jokic's rest and like don't want to play him too much. He'd come off the bench, wouldn't play a ton of minutes, wouldn't have it the biggest workload in a lot of games. And I think some of that's by design. They don't Jokic plays a lot of basketball. Your body needs to rest. And and so they're giving him a little bit of that time off. But at the same time, it never felt like Serbia played what I believe to be Jokic's best style of basketball. And I think with Michael Malone there, the odds of them doing that are going to go up quite a bit. So cool news. And hearing from some of the people in Serbia, I got a lot of Serbian followers. Hearing from them has been really great because, um, you know, it, it sounds like people are very positive about that. Um, another interesting wrinkle somebody told me was that, you know, it's pretty uncommon for the Serbians to invite a non-Serbian into that sort of arena that bring them into a national team like that. And while I don't think Michael Malone is an official coach, he's more just an advisor, will be there at camp or whatever, you know, it's still kind of a big deal. So um, kudos to, to Michael Malone, congrats to Michael Malone, and congrats to the Serbian national team. I think that's cool. 
All right, let's get into this. Ten questions to be answered in the second half of the season. Number one, these are not in order, by the way, although I do think the final two are the most important, um, but the rest of them, you know, all, they're all just interesting questions. Number ten, what does Denver value on the trade market? We've talked a lot about what Denver probably has to give up in a trade, what they are willing to part with, Malik Beasley, Juancho, and Gomez, namely, and then you got a bunch of other players, Monte Morris, Gary Harris, Jared Vanderbilt, Mason Plumley, that Denver probably could part ways with but is probably not looking to. It's just more if something came up, they, those are pieces they would they would probably be, be okay including. But we never ask, what does Denver value? What is it that they want in the trade uh, via a trade? You know, first of all, everything I have heard from people that cover the draft, and I don't cover the college basketball. I just there's not enough time to call for me to cover both the Nuggets, the NBA at large, and the NBA draft. Obviously, after the season, leading up to the draft, get prepared for all that. But what I've heard from the people that follow this year round is that this is an extremely bad draft. The next three drafts are all supposed to be really good, maybe even historically good. But this one is sort of that gap year where there's just not a lot of high-end talent. LaMelo Ball might be the number one overall pick. He's not a guy that I think uh, is you know, a game changer. I think he's a very good player. I'm a big fan of Alonzo. I think LaMelo has a lot of those same like sort of vision things, but they're not cornerstone pieces like you usually try to aim for with a number one pick. So it's shallow. I'm not sure Denver, uh, so it's weak and shallow. I'm not sure Denver really cares to pick up a draft pick for Beasley and Wancho. And if you did get a draft pick, I'd have a hard time thinking they could do better than somewhere around 16th, 17th pick. And that's at the high end, probably more likely 23. 324. Um, I don't know that Denver really values that in a bad draft. Um, so, so that's interesting. They have seven spots open. This is one thing. This is one direction I think they might go. They have seven roster spots available next season, a potentially next season. Unrestricted free agent Paul Millsap and Mason Plumley. You've got a player option in Jeremy Grant that almost certainly will be declined. It's at nine and a half million. He's a little under nine and a half million. He can get that on the open market, so I think he'll decline that. And then you have three re- restricted free agents in Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and Tory Craig. And then of course you've got your two. You have one open spot already because Denver only has fourteen players on the roster. And then you have a two-way contract. Um, so. Denver has those seven spots, and let's just go through what Denver will likely have, in my opinion, likely have. I think two players are likely to return of those list of free agents next year, and that's Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap. Those are likely. I would be surprised if both of them did not return. You never know. We'll find out what happens. But I, right now, gun to my head, I would pick them both to be back. Starting lineup of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, and Nikola Jokic. Likely. Again, I don't know for certain, but... You know, good chance of that. Off the bench, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and then blank spots at small forward and center. Who knows? Okay, so we're up to eight players next year with this as, as currently constructed. You've got Bull Bull, who I think will get a roster spot, not a two-way. you got Vlaco Chanchar, who I think will be back in the same capacity. You've got Jared Vanderbilt and P.J. Dozier, who who knows? I mean, those guys could be throw-ins in, some, in a potential trade, but should they not be traded, I think they'll be on the roster next year. So that leaves three open spots. If those are the guys that are in, Bowl, Chanchar, Vando, Dozier, Millsap, Barton, Monte, and then the starting lineup I laid out that had the same this year except for plus Grant and MPJ, there's three open spots plus the two two-ways. So three open spots, you either look at the crop of free agents this summer or you look at a trade this summer. You think, okay, 
we don't need to fill those roster spots now. We can get free agents in the summer, and we can fill those last three spots plus the two ways. We can do that later. Denver does not have draft picks, first or second round. Or you think in the summer we can trade pieces. Maybe Gary Harris is, you know, this. we don't want to trade him right now. We're in the playoff push or whatever. But over the summer, maybe we feel like we can part ways with him or Monte or Barton or, you know, whatever. And you make some type of pl- uh, of trade there where you acquire a bunch of guys to fill out your roster. Um, or you try to do it now. And there's something to be said for I know a lot of guys look at salary cap space and, oh, you got to do this. If you don't like what you have this summer, if you don't think that you can improve your roster in the offseason, then maybe you look to pick up a guy that has this year and next year left on his deal. So you, you look to pick up guys that will be on the roster not just this season and next season. They don't have to be superstar caliber players, but maybe there is like a J.J. Redick type who has this year and one more left, and you think, okay, well, that's nice because that way we can have a shooter in our uh, on our roster for two more years. Um, um, so that's what is Denver value? Is that something that they're looking at and worried that they might get to a place two weeks into July, you know, two weeks into free agency, and they're like, crap, we have four open or three or two open roster spots and nobody to fill them with that we like. Maybe they try to preemptively do that now. And then you look at needs. You know, a backup center, right now they have Paul Millsap. In the future, they have Bull Bull. There might be that gap between, you know, I don't know that Bull Bull is going to be like a guy you bank your, your bench center spot on. So maybe they try to bring in somebody else. They need a defensive small forward if they want to be serious about you know competing this year. Maybe they feel like they need to get somebody at that small forward spot. And then you need shooting. Denver just hasn't shot the ball. So what do they value? We're going to find that out because I do suspect that there will be a trade at some point um, you know, before the trade deadline for Denver. And we're going to find out exactly what it is that they feel like they need. The beer of the day for today is the Avalanche Amber which is, I like malty beers. It's the maltiest, I would say, that they have in there. I guess the oatmeal, oatmeal stout, maybe also malty. The, am- the amber, a nice like hop and, and malt mix, which I think is great, especially in January and February when it gets a little cold. You're going to want to check that one out. Let me know what your favorite what your favorite beer is. Actually, let me, let me just tease something. Big surprise coming up here in the couple weeks. I'm telling you, there's so much cool stuff happening over at DNVR. So much cool stuff. If you're not subscribed now, you want to get in. Trust me, you want to get in now before some of the game completely flips on its head. We take over this town. Um, But you want to check out the Avalanche Amber and then keep an eye out. Breck Brew. That's our brewery. We are Breck people. Hope you are too. Also want to give a shout out to Symbiotax. This is one of the cool things about this. We see people sending in pictures of Breck Brew. We got a testimonial from somebody, a DNVR Nuggets person from Symbiotax the other day. Somebody with a business need that called them up because they heard on the show. Great review. Was raving about the job um, that that they did over there from uh, George over at Symbiotax did. So there's new alternative for addressing your tax needs. Symbiotax and administration provides its clients with honest and knowledgeable tax services from a licensed professional. Let me give you the number, 720-366-4470, or visit symbiotax.com, S-Y-M-B-I-O, tax.com. Talk to George. Small chat over Denver sports. He's a big abs guy, also a Nuggets guy, also a Broncos guy, but a big abs guy. Talk to him and then figure out what it is that you need. Uh, if, if you have some tax questions, getting ready to file for the end of the year, you got a small business, you have some questions, get with, get with George. Get with somebody inside the family. Who can stay healthy? This is question number nine. Who can stay healthy? So today was interesting at practice. Nuggets haven't haven't had a a ton of time to practice lately because obviously in in season, 
Um, there's just so much going on. But today at practice, the doors were shut. They never opened. And this is rare. This is very, you know, usually when practice is winding down, they'll open up the doors. We'll see the last couple seconds of practice. Guys will do shooting drills. And you kind of, you get to kind of look around the gym, what's going on. Who's in street clothes? Who's isn't? You know, whatever. Who's in the building? Is Stan Kroenke in town this week or whatever? Um, today they didn't do that. They kept the doors closed. It was almost like they were very, very secretive. And word I heard was that they were looking to they they were getting some guys reps in the second and third unit, um, just kind of like going over the playbook. And look, of course, we know Michael Porter Jr. has been slow to grasp the playbook in the NBA season. There's not a lot of practice time, so this is a great opportunity to really walk him through some of the plays. And and I don't know. I, look, I'm from this point on, I'm speculating. I don't know if it was for Michael Porter Jr. for somebody else or for a bunch of somebody else's I don't know um but you know let's just take inventory real quick Millsap is hurt Gary Harris is hurt with a groin injury scary Jamal Murray is banged up today we talked about it he said yeah the back is the main issue but there's others like there's like lots of little things going on um Will Barton has been banged up Denver might be very short-handed for the next couple weeks. Um, or if not short-handed, they might want to not play Gary Harris 39 minutes and Will Barton 39 minutes. So what does that mean? It means more opportunity for Michael Porter Jr., but maybe some opportunity for some other guys. You know, P.J. Dozier just got called up from the G League. That does not mean that he's about to suit up and play for the Nuggets. He's been called up before and, and hasn't been able to get in the game. But, you know, now with some of these injuries, maybe there is an opportunity to get him in the game P.J. Dozier is a guy that if there's a trade talk and Beasley, just they just don't want to play Beasley, and if Gary Harris is out, and if Will Barton is banged up, you know, you might move Jamal Murray over to small uh, to shooting guard and, and bring in a Dozier. So, um, so it was interesting. Who's going to stay healthy and just how does that affect the team's ability to reach their potential or reach their peak? We've talked a lot about sort of the, the decline of Jokic ball. You know, it's kind of gone away. You need reps. Last year, what I think happened was Gary Harris, Paul Millsap went down. The team never, the team developed a new identity that I think is still their identity, the Jokic-Murray two-man game. And it's changed. They've never gone back from that, um, at least so far. If you start losing guys, you know, what are the odds that Gary Harris gets a rhythm back, that um, Will Barton and everybody kind of kind of comes together? I think the odds are somewhat low. So, um, so interesting with these injuries, how it will affect the team. Just who will stay healthy and how much can Denver be healthy? Question number eight. How many minutes will Michael Porter Jr. play? This is the question everybody's asking. This is like, A lot of people probably think this is the most interesting one. Is there a waterfall moment for Michael Porter Jr.? And what I mean by that is, is there that one game that happens and it's like, that's our guy, he's playing 25 minutes. Maybe that min- moment has already happened, you know. If we just look at the minute increase over the season, I broke it down by five-game increments. In his first five games, he played on average four minutes and 10 seconds. Okay, that's misleading. He had four DNPs, and then he played 21 minutes. In his next five games, he played on average seven minutes, right under seven minutes. He had one DNP. In the next five, he had two DNPs and played seven minutes, so about the same. And then in the next five, he played on average two and a half minutes, had three DNPs. So you go through the first 20 games of the season, and he was barely playing. You go after that, eight minutes per game, so little increase, one DNP. After that, seven minutes, a little bit down, zero DNPs. He did play in every game, but just not that much. Then the next five games, he played 18 minutes per game, huge bump, zero DNPs. And then over the last five games, he has played about 14 minutes per game, so a little a little 
dip uh, down. A lot of that has to do with that one game where he played three minutes, the, the, the Cleveland game. If it weren't for that, he probably would have been right around the 18-minute mark as well. So to, to summarize, he's gone from zero minutes to two weeks of seven minutes to a, a three-minute week to two eight-minute weeks to two tw- basically eight, 18-minute um, weeks. So it's starting to get up there. And maybe this is what we are. I think if you look at it, it's clearly steady growth in minutes. Is he done now? Is this where we are? Because he's gone from being out of the rotation to playing spot minutes to now playing pretty much in the first half and half of the second halves, or most of, maybe even most of the second halves. Is that the new normal? Or are there going to be games like the Cleveland one where it's like, boom, you get the hook right away because you're not playing well and the t- Malone feels like it's too important to, to risk him being out there? Who knows? And then how will his role evolve between now and the playoffs? That's a huge question. I mean, if you told me right now that Michael Porter Jr. is a key player and he plays a lot of minutes with the starting lineup, um, you know, I'd say, okay, that's within the realm of possibility. If you told me he does not play at all in the playoffs, I'd say that's also within the realm of possibility. So how will his role evolve? What is Denver trying to build towards with Michael Porter Jr. this season? Do they even know the answer to that? Are they trying to groom him for the playoffs or are they just thinking more long-term? Or are they not thinking at all? Is Malone just shooting from the hip on this? Might just be shooting from the hip. He has only played 98 minutes with Nikola Jokic. If you missed yesterday's Locked On Nuggets podcast, I went into detail about the Jokic. I said the first 100 minutes of the Jokic uh, uh, MPJ pairing, what do we know? And I think there's some really interesting numbers that you're going to want to go through um, that I I don't have time to go in through here as a whole podcast. Um, But 98 minutes with Jokic. He's played 117 with Murray. He's played 62 minutes at power forward, which is not very many. So... What are we going to see? Are we going to see more minutes for him at, at power forward? Are we going to see more of them with Jokic? Are we going to see more of them with like lots of shooters? Um, is there a combo? Is there something where Malone looks at the data and he says, you know what, MPJ is really good next to Jeremy Grant or next to Monte Morris or next to Plumlee or whatever. Um, and, and, and does that evolve or is it just going to continue to be? I, I can't imagine it's going to continue to be. Injuries, trades, there will be things that affect this. Number six. Will there be a steep learning curve for Jeremy Grant? This one's interesting. When I say that, the implication is that he has been bad. I don't know that Jeremy Grant individually has been bad. But I think it to this point, if we look in aggregate, there's a recent uptick in sort of his impact, especially since he's been playing with the starters. But he has the 50th worst total plus minus. Not advanced stats, just when he's on the court. He, the Nuggets are getting outscored really, 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 really badly on the season. Now, what that means is, you. What, what, why I like this stat rather than like net rating or whatever for this specific point I'm making is that Jeremy Grant, when you look at the players who are all the, the biggest, the 49 players in front of him or below him, however you want to phrase it, with worst total plus minuses, they're all the bottom dwellers. There's lots of Cavs. There's lots of Knicks. There's lots of Pelicans. What you don't get is playoff teams in the bottom 50 because most playoff teams don't play guys a lot of minutes that are consistently getting killed. Jeremy Grant is the only Nuggets player in the bottom 50. In fact, he's the only Nuggets player, I believe, in the bottom 150. So it's really interesting that he's playing so many minutes but has been this bad. But, of course, Denver, I think, trying to work through some of the sewage at the moment. The only playoff players currently behind him in that that ranking, Jay Crowder, Memphis Grizzlies, maybe not even a playoff team. Drew Holiday, 
New Orleans Pelicans, maybe not even a, a, a playoff team. And then Bryn Forbes, DeJounte Murray, and DeMar DeRozan, all three on the Spurs, who also, by the way, might not be a playoff team. So Grant, the fact that he is on the team with the second best record in the Western Conference, I'm sorry, Western Conference team. These are Western Conference. The fact that Grant is a key contributor on the second best team in the Western Conference and everybody else on that list is basement dwellers or guys in the ninth seed trying to get into the playoffs, that's, that's a little alarming. So when will this steep learning curve happen? It probably has something to do with the fact that he is learning a bunch of new players and Michael Malone and the coaching staff is learning him. How is he best used? Where is he vulnerable? Where does he hurt us? What combinations work best for him? What kind of plays? How much do we want him to attack? You know, he in, in Oklahoma City, he kind of just stood in the corner and on the wing and then he got back on defense and he had a very simple role because Westbrook dominated the possessions. But you know, how does that, is there going to be that steep learning curve where it's like, okay, this is how we use this specific tool and vice versa, him looking at the team and saying, okay, this is how I fit into this group of people. We don't know. Maybe there's no learning curve and he is just a Trey Lyles type anchor on the team and Denver has a really hard time figuring out where he belongs. He is a net negative with every single two-man combination. Um, he, the Grant Jokic line, remember Jokic is like plus minus, um, uh, like a superpower. Every time you pair anybody with him, it's a great plus minus. Well, him and Grant together, a minus six and a half in 390 minutes. That's alarming. Um, every single two man lineup, the Nuggets, no matter which two man lineup you look at with, with him on the court gets out rebounded. That's wild, isn't it? There's not a single like duo that you say, okay, the Grant Jokic or Grant Plumley or Grant Millsap or Grant Craig, whatever. Actually, Grant Craig, the only one, it's like a 5.3, or I'm, I'm sorry, 50.3% of rebounds, meaning they get 0.3 more rebounds than the, the opposition. But what's crazy about that is Denver's a great rebounding team. So he's this is a new trend that even with Trey Lyles we didn't see where he's that much of a drag on the on the rebound just that one part of it and maybe for Denver a team that hasn't really shot the ball well and generated great looks maybe crashing the boards is a big part of what makes them successful I think I, I think it is so that's a big question will there be a steep learning curve for Jeremy Grant one more before we go to another break how will the rotation evolve between now and April? This is another good one. It kind of plays into the Jeremy Grant, the MPJ thing. But, you know, will one of the big questions I have is, will Jokic's rotation change? Right now, it seems like the entire rotation, the 48-minute rotation is built around Jokic. Jokic gets to play that nine-minute stretch to begin the game. And then he closes out the half, roughly the last six minutes or so of the half. Then he starts again, usually plays the whole third, and then he comes to the bench for, and then he comes back on the court around six minutes left to go in the fourth. And that's the rotation. Everything else kind of is built off of that. And while I think that's smart, you usually, usually coaches, that's what they do is they build around their best player. Maybe there is something to, can we get the bench more lineups or more minutes? I've talked about trying to play Michael Porter Jr. at the four alongside Jokic more. And as much as I love that lineup, that's not a lineup that you can play just against anybody. That's a lineup you throw out to start the second quarter to beat up on other teams' bench lineups. So does Denver mix things up with Jokic? Does maybe Jokic play the first six minutes of the first quarter and then sub out, or maybe seven minutes, then sub out and then come back in earlier um, and, and play most of the the, thir- the second quarter? Maybe they mix it up. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but it's a question at least for Malone to sort of look at and think about 
we've done a different a couple different rotations so far in the first half. What will the second half look like as you build towards what your playoff rotation will be? And then here's a big one. Will four bigs stay in the rotation? Right now, Denver has Jokic and Plumley, Grant and Millsap. Grant being out, see or I'm sorry, Millsap being out seems to have solved some of the bench problems, some of the bench issues. Now, that's not because it's that's not Millsap's fault. It's just that I think Denver only needs most teams only need three true bigs. You have a fourth one there, and you just never have any types of of sort of alternative looks, some stretchy looks. So will all four bigs stay in the rotation, or maybe there's a trade or um, something else on the horizon that sort of mixes it up, or maybe just one player doesn't get a lot of minutes. Maybe as we get down to the home stretch, Mason Plumlee's minutes get reduced, or Paul Millsap's minutes get reduced. Who knows? We'll find that out, I think, very, very soon, and it'll be interesting to see what Malone decides. As you may or may not know, Total Beverage delivers to most of the metro area. From Lakewood to Boulder and from Aurora and Brighton, and they have the lowest prices in the state, plus they now offer CBD products. That's right, from drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today. Receive 30% off of your purchase of $25 or more with a max discount applying up to $75. Better yet, don't leave the comfort of your home and get it delivered. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, presented by Illegal Pete's, the best spot in all of Denver. If you haven't checked them out, has anybody not been to Illegal Pete's before? Check them out. If you're, I want to hear if there's like a first timer out there. Let us know what you think. Give us the review. All right, look, we're talking about the ten most important questions here for the remaining part of the season for Denver. At least what I consider to be. Maybe you have some different ones. Who does Denver match up with in the Western Conference? You know, it's funny, the jockeying for playoffs in November, December, it can be like a little ridiculous because you just know the season is long and where the standings look in November often just it doesn't matter. They don't apply to what the standings will be um, in April. But now as you get closer and closer, you start to look around and you start to go, okay, where does who does Denver, what's the perfect bracket? How can things work perfectly for Denver? How important is it to be the two seed or three or whatever? Here's who I think Denver looks good against so far. The Clippers, I think Denver matches up surprisingly well with them. I also think they maybe are not as good as, as they're on paper, they, it would indicate. The Thunder, I think Denver matches up with all well with them. The Mavericks, this one's a little a little bit you know more nerve-wracking, I think. Mavericks are kind of explosive, nothing to lose kind of team, very smart coach. But I still think Denver matches up well with them. Nobody can guard Yoke, and Jokic, I think, can be the best player in that series. Memphis Grizzlies, Denver's just better than them. And Portland Trailblazers also think Denver's just better than, than them. Um, here's the teams they do not match up well with. The Los Angeles Lakers, the Houston Rockets, the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans have beat Denver twice, and I'm not sure that it's so much of a fluke. If the Pelicans get into that eight seed and Denver lines up one, I think Denver would be a little nervous for that one. Who knows what could happen? They have not played them well. So, um, and then of course Rockets and Lakers, those are just tough. The same same reasons they don't have Denver doesn't have um, the ability to stop their best actions, and they won't have the best player in that series. LeBron will be the best player, maybe Anthony Davis in that series. Jokic probably third best. The Rockets have James Harden, who will probably be first best player in that series. So, um, so it's tough. The two we don't know about: the Utah Jazz, the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, it's crazy that we're this far into the season and we have not played or has seen Denver play those teams just yet. Um, 
I suspect that the Jazz will be a really tough matchup for Denver. The Jazz have won 10 in a row. Um, like They're tied for Denver, with Denver right now in the standings with the records. It's crazy to think. Jazz have been on fire. Things are starting to come together for them. And I don't think they've hit their stride yet. Mike Conley yet to sort of um, fully hit his stride, at least the, what we expect of them. Emmanuel Moutier playing kind of well out there. Go figure. Of course. Of course. Although not that great. We can't overstate it. And then in the Spurs, every year this happens, you write them off, and then they end up surging in the back half. The Spurs, if you look every year over the last like three or four years, the Spurs in the second half of the season have been a legitimately good team. That's why last year Denver played them in the 2-7 matchup and a lot of people thought oh they're a 7 seed whatever they were like a really good offense and a top 10 offense and defense in the back half of the season last year they were good um, the Spurs I think going to do the same thing and Denver has not played them once yet so who knows how they will match up there um, next question what seed will Denver get the, the race does get more and more interesting. The Lakers right now are projected to be the number one seed by quite a comfortable margin. I mean, they're up by four or five games at the moment. Um, so making up, first of all, just making up four or five games, unless there's an injury. You know, if LeBron goes down, I think that, I think if he missed like two or three weeks, I think the Lakers would spiral. Um, but, you know, um, there's five, the next five seeds, seeds two through six, they're all projected on 538. They're all projected somewhere between 52 and 54 wins per Raptor. Their rap, uh, Raptor is like their, um, their model that they use to project wins and losses. And it's pretty accurate. They project teams, five teams to be bunched between 52 and 54 wins. And Denver's one of them. Now Denver's projected to be 54. So at the top end of that, but that's just how close things are going to be. So Going forward, you know, things like the Cleveland loss, they happen to everybody, Atlanta, whatever. And in the beginning of the season, it's not that those don't matter any less or any more or whatever. They all matter. They all add up to wins or losses. But as the season goes on, those games should become less and less frequent because, you know, you're tightening up and you start looking at the standings. You think, man, we can't afford that because we could drop two or three spots. So it'll be interesting to watch that. I, I think if I were to predict right now about the halfway point, I think the Lakers are number one. I think Utah might be number two. They're just surging right now. They've got a lot of pieces. I think Denver and Houston will battle it out for three and four. I think it'll be neck and neck. I think the Clippers are going to be five. Dallas, number six. And then below that, you get Oklahoma City and, you know, who knows? I'll say San Antonio because I just never will believe the Spurs are out until they're fully buried. So, um, so what does that put Denver? It's a three. So they're either going to be looking at Dallas um, or maybe if they fall all the way to the four, they could be playing the Clippers. Both matchups I would feel somewhat comfortable with them. I mean, they're going to be tough. They could easily lose them. They'd be, at best, 55-45 series, but I wouldn't feel at least hopeless. Last year, you remember, as you were looking at the standings, you thought, oh, God, what if they get Utah or what if they get um, Houston? They're going to be so screwed. You, at least you don't feel that way at this very moment, but we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Denver capable of being anything from the one seed to the six, I would say. Um, number So last three here. What else can Jokic learn before April? This season, there's you could, if I were to narrow it down to a handful of storylines, I would probably get to the three most important ones, which would probably be the Michael Porter Jr. one would probably be one, if not number one. But this one and the last question on this list are, are, are probably two and three on that. What can Jokic learn? That's the we've been watching him go from a slump go from looking in the mirror to start working out and start looking fit and being more aggressive and assertive. Um, what other lessons does he have to learn? Today at practice, Michael Malone was asked, it was a great question, asked, 
has this team learned accountability? Is that something that has to be, is that still a work in progress? And Malone had an interesting answer. He basically said yes. Um, you know, that while the team is capable of holding each other accountable on occasion, it's still something that they're learning to do. And when he says something like that, I don't think about, oh, Monte Morris isn't being accountable, Jeremy Grant. I think about the leaders of this team, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Those two, especially about holding themselves accountable, but also about learning how to hold other people accountable. I think that Jokic's sort of pivot to working out, losing all that weight, being more aggressive, and the numbers that he has put up, 23 and a half points over the last 20 games. It's just, he's on a, he, he's playing some of the best basketball of his career right now as we speak. And I think a lot of that has to do with personal accountability, him finally admitting that he's not playing how he's supposed to be as the leader of this team, and then taking personal accountability for it. But there's another type of accountability that I don't know that um, Jokic has just yet and I think it's a huge part a huge block in front of him becoming not just the ninth or 10th best player in the league but even higher than that and a player that can really take his game and his team to the next level and that is the ability to hold others accountable you know a lot has been made about Jamal Murray as he hijacked the offense a little bit or you know he's not doing what is this player or that player not doing what he likes is Jokic not playing with you know Craig or Grant or whatever um, Michael Porter Jr. doesn't know the plays. Like what? Who you know? Who's who's on him for that? Who's pushing him? To me, this is the next big step for Jokic in his career arc. Is can he be the guy that holds other players accountable? Can he be the guy that tells Michael Porter Jr. Why the hell do you not know the playbook on January fifteenth? We're halfway through the season. Why don't you know it? And what can I do to help you get there? I, you know, this is leadership. And it's funny when people talk about leadership, people say, well, Yoke will never be a leader. And they picture the guy that gets up on the soapbox and gives the speech and everybody rallies around. Leadership can be a lot of different things. And one of them is if Jokic doesn't like something that Michael Malone is doing as a coach, having the, the gravitas, the backbone, um, and just the willingness to put himself in that uncomfortable situation of going into Michael Malone's office and, fig- and, and, and putting their heads together to say, we need to fix this thing. And I don't know if the, Jokic feels that way. Maybe he doesn't have a thing with Malone, but maybe he does with Jamal or with Michael or just you know little things that arise that he, he doesn't like. I don't know that Jokic is speaking up on those things. I don't know if Jokic is saying, hey, this is a thing we need to be doing differently. In fact, I would think that when Michael Malone talks about that's what they're still waiting on, I would think that has to do not just with Jokic, but also with Jamal. But I'm focusing here on Jokic because I believe him to be the team's best player and most important player, and I think that he is the one that most needs to do that. So what other lessons can Jokic learn this year before April? That's a big, big, big one in my opinion. And then can Jokic ball return? Meaning Denver hasn't gotten the ball popping like they used to. Really, it's been so infrequent and increasingly so. Is this just the new Nuggets and is a different Jokic needed? Has the last 20 games, has part of that growth from Jokic that we've seen, has part of that been him saying, you know what, the old way is gone. How can I make the new way succeed? I need to be more of a scorer, more aggressive in this way or whatever. Maybe. Um, you know, maybe that's the case, or maybe Jokic ball can return. But whatever it is, what lessons is Jok- or is Jokic himself going to learn along this next half of the season? Remember, it's it's crazy to think because the next forty one games of the regular season that will be one tenth of Jokic's career, which is a big portion, a big portion of his career. He's only been in the league; this is his fifth season. So, um, 
you know, he's only he's already been through nine 50 game stretches. You assume that he has a lot to learn, both you know physically as a player or whatever, but also, but especially sort of mentally and and as a leader. Um, there's a lot of time. This is a big crucial uh, block for him in his uh, his arc. Number nine, will guys start making shots? This is one of the big stories about the Nuggets this year. They just can't shoot the ball. The guys that you expect to be great three-point shooters are not very good three-point shooters right now. Denver currently ranks um, 22nd in three-point percentage. 22nd. Um, Denver, I thought, when you looked at all of the players, Beasley, Murray, Monte, Jokic, Mills, you, you know, uh, Harris, Barton, you just think, oh, there's a lot of three-point shooters. But here's what's happened over the last 20 games. Malik Beasley is shooting 33%. Jamal Murray is shooting 31%. Paul Millsap is at 30%. Remember how hot he was to start? Well, that's fallen off. Will Barton is at 27%. Gary Harris is at 27%. Juancho Hernan Gomez is at 6%. Now, it's only on 17 attempts. He's one of 17. But one of 17? Oh, horrible percentage. Denver, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six guys, all who have played sizable minutes at least. Beasley and Wancho a little bit less than the rest, but still some minutes, that are all shooting worse than 33%. And in Gary Harrison, Will Barnes' case, significantly worse. Can Denver start making shots? One of the answers about can the ball get popping again is do guys just start knocking them down? Because when you have to extend on the Nuggets and step out, there's more angles to cut. There's more stuff going on. So will Denver shoot or are they just not a very good three-point shooting team? I think it would be very difficult for the front office to talk themselves into the Nuggets shooting significantly better over the back half of the season. They might see a bump. Jamal Murray is not a 31% three-point shooter. He's better than that. You might get a bump there. Will Barton, Gary Harris, not 27% three-point shooters. You should see a bump there. But, you know, Jokic is shooting 45% over that stretch. Jeremy Grant still around 40%. You've got some guys that are making up for it who are running a little bit hot who... I think it would be more important for some of the guards to be hot. But nonetheless, you got some guys that are being hot right now. Will Denver start making shots? Huge, huge question. If you just talk about basketball stuff, that might be the single biggest sort of variable in it that could change the whole thing and flip it on its head. And then number one, to me, this is the most important question over the back half of the season. Can Jamal Murray make a leap? I think this has been a very disappointing year for Jamal Murray. He had a very hot start. I think his defense has improved, but it is still not good enough. He's getting targeted. Against the good teams, he is being he is the one that they are singling out and attacking. And I think in a playoff series, a lot of Denver's success on defense is going to be what does Jamal Murray do when he gets switched out onto the guy? Westbrook, Harden, LeBron, uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, uh, Chris Paul. Um, Luka Doncic, what happens when he gets there? Of course he's going to get, it's a, a mismatch for him to be switched on to LeBron. But is it such an egregious mismatch that Jamal Murray is just, you can't play him? Or can he get good enough to where maybe teams aren't just trying to exploit the mismatch every time and finding success with it? It's a real question. And then you look at the offensive end. He's been the basically the same player offensively, just worse at shooting. All of the numbers are almost identical to what we had seen uh, the previous season. He had 18 points last year. He's at 18 points this year, actually a little bit below that. He had 4.8 assists last year. He has 4.7 assists this year. 4.2 rebounds last year. 4.2 rebounds this year. Almost identical numbers. He's getting to the free throw line a little bit more, 
0.3 time, 0.3 attempts more per game, so marginally, and he's shooting better percentage. Remember, he had that weird 85% last year. He's back up to 91%. His three-point shot is down. He's taking roughly the same. He's taking fewer attempts, and he's shooting a worse percentage. So does he have a leap in him? Is he a better player than this? Is he a better shooter than this? You know, the Nuggets with the $170 million on the line are sure hoping so, but the back half of this year, and Murray, to his credit, has gotten better every year in the back half. He's improved throughout the course of the season, especially his shot has improved. He was in a very good mood today. Um, you know, at practice, he seemed very confident. He seemed very relaxed. Maybe this is the beginning of sort of a turning the corner moment for Jamal, though maybe it means he's out for a while. I mean, he's also really banged up. But is he a better player and can he make a leap? Because quite frankly, the Jamal Murray that we that the Denver Nuggets have gotten this year. I don't think that is a guy that is capable of being the second best player on a team that goes very far in the playoffs. And when I say very far, I mean past the first round, past the, maybe the first round because you got an easy one, so you go to the second round. Right now, I don't know how many teams you could look at uh, in the playoffs in the second that will make it to the second round or have a chance of making it into the second round where you could say Jamal Murray is one of the top four or five players in that series. You go up against, um, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I guess I should say top three or four, three, four or five. Because you go up against the Lakers and you've got Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. One, two, three, easy, boom. That means he's at best the fourth best player. And now you're just looking at some of the variable guys that maybe have a bigger impact. But on both on both sides, you go to the Clippers. You've got the you have obviously you're always going to have Jokic. And then you have uh, uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, some really good players. Lou Williams can. Can Jamal Murray outperform Lou Williams, or will will he be the at best the fifth best player in the series like that? Um, you know, you start to go down the list. Even if a re up against Portland is, can he outduel CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard again? Um, now that teams kind of have a scouting report on him, now that they're going to attack him, you know, in the back half of that, especially in Game Six and Seven, Jamal Murray was the mark. That was the guy that they went after. He needs to make a big leap, in my opinion, the rest of the year. He needs to shoot the ball around 40% or 38% or better, at least over the back half of this year. He needs to take more threes. I think he needs to be at least at six and a half, seven threes a game. He's going up against a younger player tomorrow night in Devontae Graham, who is shooting nine and a half threes per game and shooting 38% on him. It seems like there's a lot of young players that are starting to leapfrog him. And so for me, this really is, I know I'm hard on Jamal Murray. I know I'm the guy that is like the big skeptic of him and has been a big skeptic of him for quite a while. But this is the show me time because for the Nuggets, they're not going anywhere this season. I mean, I do think that he's a good player and there's flexibility and, you know, I don't tradable, whatever down the line. Those are those are questions for down the line. But this season, he is the guy. It's it's Jokic and Jamal. You can't count on Will Barton to save you in a playoff series. He's a good player. I love Will Barton, but he's not the guy that you say, oh, don't worry. He can be the third best player in a series. No. Jamal Murray has to be, and I don't have a lot of confidence in him accomplishing that right now. But the beauty of sports is that we don't know the answer and you have an opportunity to kind of prove yourself. To me, Jamal Murray has a lot of proving to do over the second half of this season, and I'm curious to see if he can do it. Um, he is a gamer. One thing I'll say about Jamal, I think he's a winner. I think he's a gamer, and I think when push comes to shove, he does whatever it takes to give himself a best chance to succeed. Like Jokic, I don't know that he always has the proper drive when the game is not, when the lights aren't on and the game is not playing, but when the lights are on, when push comes to shove, I like Jamal Murray and I count on him to hit the tough shots and make the tough reads. 
But I think that the go time begins right now in this back half of the season for him to start making a leap and him to start showing it. We'll see what happens. It should be exciting. And it's going to be a, the next chapter in sort of the story of Jamal and the story of this Denver Nuggets team. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Going to be back tomorrow with a brand new episode recapping a game against the Charlotte Hornets that I suspect will be an interesting one, especially if Gary Harris isn't in. Do we get another MPJ performance? Hmm. Do we get a PJ Dozier sighting? Do we have a Malik Beasley game? Should be an interesting one. We'll talk to you then. You guys know how supporting local business is in our blood. We're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. And it may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming. We've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked uh, out their warehouse a few weeks back and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades. And we even witnessed machines that cut materials that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all and you can purchase products for yourself and of course buy, buy in bulk at a fantastic rate. They're family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNBR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash DNBR and tell them who sent you.